0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, welcome again this evening. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22, please. By now, you're not surprised that we're studying in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been here for a little while. Tonight, we're going to look at questions for the Lord and... One question from the Lord. We're not going to get to that question, that last one, but maybe only the first one, in fact. In Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees and the Herodians, we're in verse 15, by the way, were desperate to find an excuse to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to kill him. In fact, while you have your finger there or are making your way to Matthew 22, let me just... Uh, allude to a couple of verses in John uh, chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Uh, that's a real brain-bender there, but uh, we understand that there's three persons in the Trinity, and the Son Zabel, is separate from the Father in the sense of his personal existence. The persons of the Trinity are distinct, though their nature, their essence is one, but he was um, calling himself equal with the father because that is indeed true. That is true, but they wanted to kill him for that. And then in John chapter 11, the Bible says in verse 53, then from that day on, it says, what? They plotted to put him to death. You know, the Lord said, if you have anger in your heart toward your brother, you're guilty of murder. Well, that's certainly the case here, isn't it? These self-righteous Pharisees were not righteous at all. And then if I go back to Luke chapter 13, we see the same uh, thing again mentioned in Luke 13, verse number 31, where the Scripture says, On that very day some Pharisees came to him, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So the religious leaders want to kill him, the Herodians, Sadducees, Herod himself. Why is there such hatred for this man? There's something very demonic about that. In any case, they're desperate to find an excuse. See, they already know the right outcome, they think. The right outcome is we kill him we just got to get a pretense to get that to happen so that it looks good somehow. So they could get rid of him and maintain their grip on power. The Pharisees were the religious party and the Herodians were the political party. Let me just read the text here. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, that's where I've got the Herodians from. The, the Herodians were a political party in support of the Herod dynasty. Many of the Herodians were likely Sadducees as well. You see, they could be, um, they could be a conservative, uh, well, not, not these guys, not conservative, liberal. These would be liberal in their theology, as we'll see later on with the doctrine of the resurrection, but also have a certain political affiliation And so, as you can imagine, people today do the same. They have a religious affiliation and a political affiliation, and so likely these were Sadducees also, but Herodians politically. The Herodians wanted their political power, and the Pharisees wanted their religious power. The Pharisees didn't care too much for Herod. Why? Because he wasn't a Jew, and the Jewish leadership wanted to have the control of the country. They didn't like the Romans either, And the Herodians were in favor of of Herod and his uh, rule. Good evening, brother. Good to see you. And um, so they weren't friends with each other, but they were joining forces to try to get rid of Jesus, who was a threat to them both, which means that he was just exactly right right where he should be, (laughs) bothering them both. So we come to uh, the middle of verse 16 after the Herodians saying, "'Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth, "'nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. "'Tell us, therefore, what do you think? "'Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not?' "'But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, "'Why do you test me, you hypocrites?' Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's, and he said to them, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God render, as understood in the, the command form there, and render to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, verse 16, after it introduces the Herodians, the rest of it is basically what I called in my study notes here, verbal fluff, verbal fluff. You know, we know, Jesus, that you're a nice guy and you don't, you know, uh, regard the person of of men and, and you're not biased and, you know, you're just really good. Well, they're just, you know, blowing smoke. They're just buttering him up, as I say, to get him off guard can you ever catch God off guard? You know, uh, they just have a total misunderstanding of, of this. You know, Jesus sees right through them as if somebody's behind them holding up a card saying they're trying to trick you. <laughs> uh, he knew exactly what they were doing. Now notice, um, notice it says, I thought I put this in my notes, but uh, it has uh, conveniently disappeared on me here. Well, anyways, um, verse 16 um, or uh, 17 where I read, you know, he perceived their wickedness. Number one, they were being evil. They didn't ask a question to be honest and to get an answer. And then it says, uh, he says, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Now, I'll just leave this with you for a moment. Why do you think that he called them hypocrites? I mean, we know they were hypocrites in other contexts, but what is it? Is it simply that they were evil in their hearts and they were trying to present themselves as something nice on the outside? They were unrighteous inside like a tomb full of dead men's bones, but on the outside they were very nice and dawed up. Well, I'll let you think about that. The main question comes after the verbal fluff. The main question is in verse 17. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, we stop there and just think about the answer to the question. If somebody asks you that question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Biden or not? Okay? That'll put you in a, I'm sure, a humored mood when you think about April 15th and paying taxes to. Uh, those in the present administration. Um, let's try to answer it in a general way from what we know elsewhere in Scripture. First of all, Romans thirteen six and 7, the Apostle Paul says, render uh, taxes to whom taxes are due, uh, custom to whom custom, tribute to whom tribute, honor to whom honor, uh, and that sort of thing. And this, so is a command for Christians to pay taxes in the context of a wicked Roman ruler, a wicked Roman ruler. What kinds of things do they do? Crucified criminals, cruel and unusual punishment, uh, executing foreign wars all over the place, repressing their citizens, uh, you know, control of Palestine as it's called today, or the nation of Israel, um, brutally put down insurrections, all those kinds of things. Put it, put it in a modern context, you know, you might not like student loan forgiveness as you've heard about in the news today but if it holds up to court challenges your tax money will be paying for that or the inflation weakened dollars that are in your pocket will be paying for that and you're required according to Romans 13 to pay your taxes even if some of them some of those funds are used for illicit Purposes. Does that make you um, complicit in those illicit things? What do you say? No, it has, because you're obligated to pay those taxes, that cuts your connection to it or your association with it so that you're not implicated in that. We spoke about that a little bit on Sunday night with a question regarding uh, how closely should we be associated with companies that do things that are anti-God And I did two other thoughts regarding that. Number one, this was brought to my attention by a friend of ours uh, who uh, maybe didn't intend for me to take it to this point, but I'm going to take it to this point. Just think about years and years ago when companies were closed on Sundays. If a company opened on Sunday, would you then boycott them because they were opened on Sunday? Would going to that company on Monday implicate you in sin because they were open on Sunday my answer is no it would not implicate you in that sin whatsoever you're just using their services Um, and part of the reason why I say it like that is because you expect I've said this many times before but maybe it's helpful to you again you expect unbelievers to act like believe oh no you, act, you expect unbelievers to act like unbelievers. Unbelievers aren't going to act like believers. In fact, you know, like 1 Corinthians chapter 7 if you have an unbeliever who wants to depart a marriage, let him depart, or let her, you know, it's a symmetrical language there in the passage, because they're not bound by the rules of God. The morality of God does not, it doesn't phase them, they just don't care. And so it is with businesses today. They just simply don't care about the things of God. You're doing business with an unbeliever in many, many businesses that you go to, but that doesn't implicate you or make you a partner with them or make you unequally yoked with them. Now, if you go into business with them and you're a partner directly and you're an investor in the in the business itself and you're making the decisions with them to open on Sunday or to to not serve Christians or whatever, then of course, you know, that's a closer connection. But anyway, so um, I guess those are the two points I wanted to make. Here's, here's unbelievers acting like unbelievers. And if you go all the way back and just do this little test case in your mind, there are probably many companies that you do business with that uh, are open on Sunday, and people would have a, tr- a problem with that before. And I don't have a problem with that because Sunday is the first day of the work week in um Israel for example um, it just is you know when I went there to work that's what it was you work on Sunday um, the weekend is Friday afternoon and Saturday and so um, Paul preached on Sunday night remember in Acts chapter 20 but I, I tend to believe that some of those people were working on that day and that didn't make them sinners we don't believe in the Christian Sabbath anyway so that's a whole other a whole nother matter but Um, So that's Romans 13, paying taxes. It doesn't implicate you in sin when you pay those taxes if the government uses that money for sinful purposes. Number two, as we think about the question that they asked and try to answer it ourselves before we get to the Lord's answer, number two, the law of Moses did um, uh, impose taxes on the people of the nation of Israel. But the taxes, of course, were paid within the nation itself, not to outsiders. Um, But at the time of Christ, the nation was taken over by the Roman nation, another nation. Therefore, since the nation of Israel did not have their own government in place, by logical extension, they would have to pay the government that was in place to carry out the basic functions of government that were called for by God in the age or dispensation of human governance. And why was that government in place in the first place? Rome, that is, because Israel disobeyed God. Paying taxes to the Romans was a consequence of their disobedience. But so my answer to the question so far is yes, not only is it required by God to pay taxes to the governing officials, but it's included in the law of Moses. And so when they say, is it lawful to pay taxes? Well, yes, as By good and necessary implication, if you were to pay taxes to the Mosaic government and God has replaced the Mosaic government with another one, then you would have to pay taxes to that one as well. Uh, Number three, Jeremiah 29 is suggestive that the people were to pay taxes to the Babylonians in an earlier period of oppression a previous power that took over their governance when disobedient six centuries before Christ, 605 B.C. down to 587 and then beyond all the way to 525 or so B.C. In fact, even after that, they were under the hegemony of not only the Chaldeans or Babylonians, but also the Medo-Persians. And then, of course, after that, the whole business with Alexander the Great. But uh, God told them in Jeremiah 29, stay in the city build houses, have children, give your sons and daughters in marriage, pray for the peace of the city in which you dwell, for in its peace you will have peace. And so, you know, obviously if they were citizens of that place and the king was requiring them to pay taxes, part of their praying for the peace of that place and and living there would be to pay the taxes for the government to build the roads and the infrastructure and keep the peace and keep up an army and all those things. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, yes, it is, these three reasons. Number four, and this is the last, there was a fellow who got up from his hometown in Nazareth and took his betrothed with him and rode on down to Bethlehem because he was the house of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. And that was probably in connection with a taxation. They wanted to know who was in the realm so that they could tax the people in the realm. Um, and so there, there's some question there about is it, is it just a census or is it a, is it a taxation kind of thing? I think they're probably connected. Um, in any case, uh, he was a righteous man. The Bible's very clear about that. He did do what he was supposed to do according to the government's command and, and dictate, And so I think when they're asking the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, they know in their hearts. I mean, they've been paying taxes to Caesar, I bet you. Or perhaps they're being hypocrites because they're being supported by the Roman dole. And Pilate and all of those that are in the government system may be supporting somehow that corrupt priestly system. Well, in any case, in some, yes, in accords with God's morals and even the Mosaic law to pay taxes even to a foreign occupying power, being disobedient to God and as a consequence being overrun. Let me back up and say it this way. If you're disobedient to God and God takes away your government and puts in place another government, you can't use that as an excuse to say, I'm not going to pay taxes to the second government. I want to pay taxes to the first one. No, the first one's gone because of your disobedience. And so as consequential to that, you can't use that as a convenient excuse to stop paying taxes. You lost, you pay to somebody else. Now the tax itself that they may have been concerned about was the poll tax. Not, I'm not certain about this, but this is somebody else's research, which was just one of the taxes assessed by Rome But even if it wasn't the poll tax, it was the principles here do not change. Jesus knew they were testing him. They were wicked in their hearts, not wanting an answer to an honest question, but they wanted him to slip up to a dishonest question. Jesus also identifies that they were hypocrites, Uh, and I already alluded to this. Maybe they were supported by Rome. Um, Whether or not doesn't really matter because the question was a no-win situation for Jesus. If he answers... Yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Rome. Then he's going to be accused of not being patriotic, um, of uh, you know not following the law of Moses. If he says no, it's not right to pay taxes to Rome. What are they going to say of him? You're a tax cheat. <laughs> you're you're uh, you know uh, you're against Herod and uh, and the Roman Empire. That's uh, you know you're you're advocating. Uh, wrong things. In fact, uh, interestingly enough, in Luke twenty-three two, the Pharisees accused him before Pilate. We have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, that is a bald-faced lie, and they know it because at the end of this passage of Scripture, which was just a couple of days earlier, they went away marveling at his sly answer to their question. He was clever and shrewd, and they could not trip him up in their their questioning. So he told them, hey, show me the tax money, that is the money that would be used to pay the taxes. And what did they show him? by the way if if the lord either way the lord answered yes or no he was going to get hung and and neither answer was technically you know accurate from the the perspective of the how can i say of of the whole context of the situation what he does is he corrects it and and says not only are you to pay taxes to caesar but you're to render to god the things that are due him. Don't be just worried about taxes. So he told them, uh, show me the tax money. This is verse 19. So they brought him a denarius. Now, if you look up on your computer, you can see pictures of actual denarii. You can buy them on eBay. Uh, Now, they claim to be legitimate. They certainly look, you know, good, but I'm no numismatist. You can... uh, your homework on coins before you buy them. But um, anyways, you can see that there are a number of different denarii. They're like they're little round silver coins of different weights, and they have the, the, the mint that minted them. There was a well, at least one well-known one, and uh, they're able to measure the, the mass of these various ones over the course of the uh, many decades. Actually, several centuries that they were minted, uh, up until the, I think the 200s A.D. And uh, you'll see some that are probably this one, minted with Tiberius Caesar on the front, who was the Caesar from 14 A.D. to 37 A.D. And then you will see on the on the uh, reverse side. What's the front of a coin called? What's the front called? Anybody know? The obverse and the reverse. okay? The front and the back is the easier way for me to know. But how do you know what the front and the back is? Well, the prominent image is on the front. That's the front. The back is a picture of him in flowing robes sitting upon his throne, this particular one. There are other ones, and they have some words around the outside rim that I don't have the ability to read. uh, I, maybe Latin, but I'm not 100% sure. There's, uh, you have to look that up and do further research yourself on that. I tried to read it, but uh, it wasn't uh, coming to me. So in any case, uh, this is what the denarius would be, a silver coin, um, a common day's wage, a day's wage for a, a soldier. And uh, Jesus asked, whose image and what word was on the coin? Um, and so it's the image and inscription or the writing. And they said to him, verse 21, Caesar's. And everybody would have understood that the words on there were Caesar, Just like, you know, in ours we would say, well, you know, on the dollar it's George Washington or it's Lincoln or it's, you know, um, Franklin or whoever. And then, you know, of course we have more words on ours, e pluribus unum, and in God we trust or whatever, whatever. And, um, you know, all that stuff, serial number and so on. So that's the image in superscription. So it was Caesar's Tiberius Caesar who ruled during the time that I mentioned earlier. He was the second uh, full-on emperor after his stepfather Augustus. And um, some people I had read would consider the coin with the image of a man on it to be idolatrous. Now, have you ever thought of a of a of a Andrew Jackson is idolatrous or, you know, Franklin or whatever. I guess guess the higher the numbers are, the more idolatrous they are or something. (laughs) Um, No, Uh, these are hyper-legalists. It's not idolatry because the persons using the coin are not worshiping Caesar. Well, at least necessarily worshiping him. They're just paying their bills. Let's not get super excited about this. They're just paying their bills. The point of Exodus 20, not to make an image, is that is to not make an image that you bow down to and worship or one that represents who you think God is or what he looks like. It's not to prohibit all likenesses, all paintings, drawings, castings, and so forth. Uh, So I don't have any problem with many of those things. You see somebody has a nice metal statue in their home. I mean, if they're bowing down to it and worshiping, I'll be the first one to tell them, look, knock it off, pal. But if they're just there because it's artwork and it's cool, whatever. Um, We don't need to get excited about it. So, you know, maybe they were upset about the the idolatry part of it, but uh, they shouldn't have been. So Jesus replies with the famous phrase, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. This is in verse 21. What this did was to highlight man's dual responsibility to both God and government. The Baptists have used this very wisely, I think, to talk about the separation of church and state, not in the way that the liberal, I won't even say that, that's wrong. Not in the way that the progressive left talks about the separation of church and state today. The separation of church and states is meant to keep the government out of the church business, not to keep the church out of government, okay? In fact, we need more church in government. We need more Ten Commandments in government. We need more uh, morality in government. But in any case, um, I'm saying that several times tonight. I notice myself here. So, uh, Dual responsibility, separation of church and state. You have a responsibility to God, you have a responsibility to government. These responsibilities should both be possible to carry out in any good governmental system. That conceived by the founding fathers in our country is the closest, I think, that you can come to that kind of situation. Unfortunately, conflicts arise in many societies where the government intrudes upon the consciences of people to worship in the way that they see fit, in a righteous way. We're talking about worship in a realm of, of Christian worship. We're not talking about animal sacrifices and child sacrifices and devil worship and, and all you know, those kind of rituals that would be uh, you know, occult and things like that. Those, we're not free to do those here because this nation was founded on principles derived from the Judeo-Christian Bible. But in any way, we're gonna. I'll look at that another time. Perhaps I wanted to write on that for some time and just haven't gotten to it. Um, so, in some government systems, though, you know, people uh, the, the churches are closed. Uh, people have to meet underground, or they can't meet at all, or they can't, uh, uh, you know, proselytize, and things of that nature. In general. However, you are to give to each, God and government, what they are due. This is a command. This also teaches that Caesar is not the Lord of everything. Caesar does not have all of you. He has only a portion of you. He has your poll tax, your income tax, your uh, excise tax, your sales tax, (laughs) uh, your property tax. Uh, Okay. Do we have any money left? No. Um, So uh, he's not the Lord of everything. God is the Lord of everything, but he has his people pay taxes to the governing authorities so that one, they can do their job, they need to be paid, but two, so that they don't offend others. Remember that when um, Peter came to, you know, don't, and was asked, don't you pay the temple tax? And 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 Peter said, well, yes, and then he came to Jesus. Jesus said, go catch the fish, take the coin, pay the tax, lest you offend them, because really, Peter, as a son of the king of kings, doesn't owe anybody a tax. They owe him a tax. The Pharisees should have been paying Jesus, not the other way around. So don't offend others in this temporary situation in which we find ourselves, in which We really, as citizens of the coming kingdom, should be revered and honored by those who are not subjects yet of that kingdom, but uh, we shall be in that place of governance later on. So anyway, they could not trap him, these Pharisees uh, and these um, Herodians, so they left him alone for the moment. But they were amazed at his shrewd answer. And uh, I think... We should be as well. The implications of this answer are tremendous. Speaking of that case that Didi was mentioning earlier, uh, there's no room in our legal system for compulsion of a private citizen to do something that would violate their faith. You cannot make them give an artistic expression or say a favorable word to. I mean, that'd be like somebody coming from outside and saying, Pastor, I want you to preach in favor of gay marriage. Well, go fly a kite, because that's not going to happen. And we can't be required to do that. And that's not just in the four walls of the church. That's everywhere. But back to taxes, not a fun topic. We can think about all kinds of injustices. I think of double taxation, and I think of inflation not being counted in the tax system. I mean, if you buy an asset, And then you sell it later at a higher price, but you've actually taken a loss because the higher dollars are less in value than they were when you bought it, but you're paying taxes on the difference. That's immoral. But what are you going to do? Can't argue with City Hall. Might go to jail if you do or try. Since Jesus commanded us to render to the government what is owed, we should do so with some level of cheerfulness, without complaint. We must plan our finances accordingly so that we do not get into trouble. We plan our taxes and our giving to the Lord and our living expenses so that our priorities are correct. Leisure, vacation hobbies, wants have to fit in after those required items. But when we pay taxes, we have to recognize since it's a command of God, we shouldn't think that we can just complain about that because what other command of God can you complain about and be righteous? Pray without ceasing, grumble, grumble, grumble. No, that's not righteous. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. no, you, you can't complain about any command of God. You have to just carry it out and recognize, yes, building codes, uh, permits, You know, things that break, that shouldn't have broken so soon, and and you just have to say, you know, (laughs) this is the world that God has put us in. We just have to deal with those things, and, um, you know, it can be hard sometimes. But God never put us here saying there wouldn't be any work involved, did he? (laughs) In fact, there's a lot of work involved. And so taxes, render them to whom they are due. Oh, I forgot state income taxes, didn't I? Yeah, okay, that's another one. Yeah, oh no. Use taxes. Taxes when you buy online things. Well, these are just uh, what we've gotten ourselves into, and uh, of course, some of those monies are spent in an unrighteous manner. But that doesn't, what? Oh, yeah, payroll tax, Medicare tax, FICA tax. Uh, you can <laughs> I'm just calling them out as I'm I'm hearing them from you or remembering them them myself, but um, render those to whom they're due and um, 10,000 years from now, it won't matter a whole lot, will it? Because you'll be in heaven and the King of Kings who owns the cattle on a thousand hills will be your Lord and you won't have to worry about paying taxes ever again. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us Lord, help us not to ask uh, of you dumb questions or dishonest questions or questions that are pretending just to to cover up our iniquities uh, like these Pharisees and Herodians. But Lord, also thank you for the insight that was given in the answer to a bad question. We got good results, good information from that. We thank you for it. Help us to carry out our responsibilities both to you and to our governments and live in a way that is pleasing in your sight, recognizing that, yes, there'll be a lot of wickedness that goes on because those people are evil. And so because of that, we pray for their souls tonight. We pray that you would allow us to live in peace and godliness. And Lord, we know that you're pleased to save all men, especially those who believe by the preaching of the gospel of Christ. And I pray that, uh, that you will work in the souls of some of these ones, especially some of these older government officials, a number of them in their 70s and 80s, they're right around the corner from eternity, and they're supporting abortion and other illicit things, and Lord, they face a horrifying judgment. God, I pray that you would spare them by drawing them to Christ, and perhaps we could benefit a little bit from that as well, if you'd be pleased.